Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 8th of July 2022. Later on, Cami will be talking to Peter Galdes from our sister company DQMGRC about the privacy implications of the metaverse. But first, here's the news. The National Cybersecurity Centre has warned organisations of the risk of staff burnout during the extended period of heightened threat in relation to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's issued guidance to help maintain staff resilience, recognising that looking after cybersecurity teams, as well as being what you'd expect of a responsible employer, helps maintain organisational resilience. The guidance, called Maintaining a Sustainable Strengthened Cybersecurity Posture, sets out the following eight steps to maintain strong cybersecurity while prioritising staff well-being. Get the basics right, such as checking patches, verifying access controls, ensuring backups are running correctly, and checking staff understand how to report phishing emails. Revisit your risk-based decisions to ensure temporary additional defences will work efficiently in the long term. Improve long-term cyber resilience by following NCSC guidelines, such as the 10 steps to cybersecurity. Empower your staff to make decisions to remove the strain on senior managers. Spread workloads evenly to build sustainability into your teams. Give staff a break, particularly in the case of those whose role involves round-the-clock monitoring or being on call. Look after each other and put staff welfare at the heart of incident response, instilling a culture of safety where staff feel they can raise concerns. And engage the entire workforce by ensuring internal communications processes are effective and all staff are properly trained to be able to identify and report suspicious activity. Paul Madinson, the NCSC's Director for National Resilience and Strategy, commented, From the start of the conflict in Ukraine, we've been asking organisations to strengthen their cyber defences to help keep the UK secure, and many have done so. But it's now clear that we're in this for the long haul, and it's vital that organisations support their staff through this demanding period of heightened cyber threat. We've produced new guidance to help organisations do this, and I would encourage them to follow our advice to help sustain their strengthened cyber posture. You can find the full guidance on the NCSE's website. We still tend to think of data breaches occurring through cyber attacks, but a recent incident in Japan has highlighted the importance of including removable storage media in information security risk assessments. The mayor of the city of Amagasaki was forced to apologise last month after a contractor admitted to losing two USB drives containing personal information relating to the city's entire population, some 460,000 residents, while on a drunken night out. According to the New York Times, the man, an unnamed employee of a private contractor brought in to oversee the payment of subsidies to local households affected by the coronavirus pandemic, was tasked with transferring the data from the city's computers to a call centre where the payments would be processed. He did this using a USB drive. What was on the other one, you might well ask? Well, the second drive, because he was apparently diligent enough to realise the importance of the data, was a backup. Unfortunately, however, he apparently decided to put the two USB drives in his bag at the end of his shift before going out for a drink or two. When he awoke in the street in the early hours of the following morning, after what had evidently turned into a binge, the bag was nowhere to be seen. The man reported the loss to the police the following day, who somewhat miraculously helped him find his bag and the devices outside an apartment building that he had no recollection of going anywhere near. Fortunately, there was apparently no sign that the driver's passwords had been changed and no indication that the personal data they contained had been compromised. Nevertheless, Kazumi Inamura, the mayor of Amagasaki, told a news conference, I sincerely apologise for the inconvenience and worry caused to citizens. Finally, some good ransomware news for once. 
In December 2019, Maastricht University in the Netherlands suffered a ransomware attack that encrypted 267 servers, including some critical systems. According to a Géant security interview with the university's CISO, Bart van den Heuvel, the university's email servers and numerous file servers, which contained research data and business operations data, were also affected, as were several backup servers. Considering the likely disruption of rebuilding its systems and the fact that students would be unable to take their exams or work on their theses, the university took the difficult decision to pay the TA505 ransomware gang the 30 bitcoin they demanded for an encryption key, then worth about 200,000 euros. However, Dutch police then managed to trace some of the ransom payment, about 40,000 euros worth of bitcoin, to a money launderer in Ukraine and seized his account. Now, after more than two years, the university will get that part of its ransom back. Only, the value of Bitcoin has increased to such an extent since 2019 that this fraction of the original payment is now worth about half a million euros, more than the entire ransom it paid in 2019. According to Security Week, Maastricht University's ICT director, Michel Borges, said this money will not go to a general fund, but into a fund to help financially strapped students. That was the news. Now, the metaverse has been steadily gaining public attention over the past few years, particularly as a result of Mark Zuckerberg's investment in the technology. But what exactly is it? And should we be worried about it from a privacy point of view? Earlier, Cami caught up with DQM GRC's Peter Galdes to find out. So um, I suppose diving basically straight into the heart of it, what actually is the metaverse? Well, you've just seen you've just seen my answer to that question, haven't you? Which is uh, <laughs> uh, nobody really knows um, quite yet what it's going to be. Um, there's a huge amount of interest, and we'll come on to why uh, commercially uh, around this. Um, but uh, when when the term was first coined, it was coined really just uh, to encapsulate um, an idea of a virtual reality where people could be represented by avatars either known or unknown or anonymous or, or, or public um, uh, uh, and they could interact together um, but um, I think today the uh, uh, the view is that um, it's something beyond uh, that and um, I think Cammy if you if you think about a good way to think about this is is, is um, how we've been working uh, over the last couple of years since the, yeah. the COVID crisis started um, you know, we've all got a lot more used, haven't we, to working from home, uh, to interacting with other people via this kind of mechanism. Um, we, some of us, um, play online games. We're used to interacting with other people that way too. Uh, mm. We're all, to an extent, um, reaching out and interacting with people over the internet um, with representations of ourselves. Either, you know, we've got a direct one here, um, but either, either um, avatar or non avatar yeah. Now, I think it's it's not too great a step to imagine um, joining these things together in a way which means that, you know, we share a virtual office all day, people at virtual desks all day, yeah. you know, uh, or um, that we uh, do our shopping uh, in a more virtualized way. And I don't necessarily mean wearing, um, you know, VR headsets and uh, and this kind of stuff, because I think that's uh, that's actually a slight side issue. Um, but the key thing is that it's this virtual representation. Uh, um, and that's a metaverse really will be when all of these things start to join up into a sort of single existence. And of course, commercially, this is the uh, this is the big driver for the meta and Google and all the other major players, because 
Mm. You know, they realise that who controls that environment, who controls access to that environment, is actually going to make an awful lot of money at the end of the day, right? which is what it's about for them. It's going to, they're going to make a huge, huge billions and billions of dollars. So uh, there's, a, there's a, a race, a commercial race, a land grab on to try and make a solution that works. Um, and, and we should all be caring about this because actually it's, you know, it's going to be the future of the internet. This is going to be internet 3.0, isn't it? I think. Uh, I suppose moving quite on from that, like in this new crazy world that is the metaverse, like what actually are the privacy implications behind all that? Well, there are huge privacy implications because, um, I mean, obviously, uh, we start to get into a situation where we generate more and more data about ourselves yeah. online as a, as a byproduct uh, of just our interaction. And at the moment, that's all we're doing most of those things, but it's very um, fragmented. OK, so the opportunity for uh, for uh, hackers or for, uh, you know, other people who, who wish to uh, um, uh, somehow take advantage of us on the Internet uh, is harder, We've, but we know it happens all the time anyway, but it's harder because it's fragmented. Uh, once we start to have some sort of massive centralised approach to the internet, which is what a proper metaverse will, will require, then yeah. we start to centralise access to data, and, and that causes a huge problem. Huge problem. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't realise as well, you know, that the um, avatars, so, so let's just assume that, that for the fun half of the internet, <laughs> the work half of the internet, you know, we choose to use an avatar, a digital representation of ourselves without actually, with it being anonymous or what we think of as anonymous. Of course, it's not anonymous, is it? It's pseudonymous, right? At the end of the day, you know, someone somewhere can knows uh, who we are and knows our avatar. So it can be worked back. So nothing is ever anonymous on the internet. Yeah, um, there is it just it's just how difficult it is to work it back. That's the problem. So, yeah, huge problem because we have a huge amount of data. We also have um, uh, a globalization of that data, which means it's working across different domains, different legal uh, infrastructures, different sets of laws. And we have a proliferation of smaller organizations are all trying to help and add um to the functionality of of a working metaverse who who perhaps are, are more immature in their approach than the the metas and the fake you know it's facebook and meta the metas and the um the googles and the microsofts of this world uh, and don't have the uh, uh, the capability to try and get it right thank you cami and peter well that's it for this time as ever you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via twitter at itgovpod that's my account or at it governance We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defence in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk.